I'm going to invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's holy word as we are continuing in our study through 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 14 through 17, our verses for this morning. Holy Spirit inspires Peter to write, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Let's pray together. Father, I am asking in Jesus' name that you would use the word of God among us for what you purpose the word of God to do. Inform us, correct us, encourage us, exhort us. And I pray that specifically you would use this passage and what we speak about from your word this morning to help every single person that's here be guarded against being carried away by lawlessness and losing their stability. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated, and if you kind of like to plan ahead like I do, uh, you can keep your spot there in 2 Peter chapter 3, and you can also be finding Galatians chapter 3. So 2 Peter chapter 3, also want to be finding Galatians chapter 3. Just a few weeks ago, it was one of those perfect North Carolina spring mornings. The humidity had not arrived You could step outside and the birds are chirping, the coffee tastes good, the children are all well behaved. It seemed like uh, this rare glimpse into glory. I had absolutely no precursor to understanding that I was about to experience one of the most unexpected, shocking and humiliating moments of my life. I was headed out the front door, going to work, had my book bag on that I carry my books in, and I do what I often do, although I don't usually go out the front door, I usually go out the garage, and I turned around to speak to Julie one last time, because I'll just be honest, y'all, I always have a hard time saying goodbye to Julie. Just one more time, I'm going to talk. And then as I was going off the porch, I took a step backwards. Now, this is mistake number one. I can't hardly walk backwards just standing upright. But I'm walking backwards, and I take a step off the porch, but I miss a step. And then that's when the fun began. Because having missed a step, I lost my balance. And having lost my balance, that book bag slung off my shoulder and landed on the ground. I'm already tripping, y'all. And then when I get to the ground, I trip again. I trip over the book again, and that has spun me around again. And you ever had this happen in your life where your mind knows something's going to happen and you can't prevent your body from it happening? Because I'm spun off, my body is out of control, and I'm heading to this rather large bush that we have beside our porch. And I can remember very clear as day, I see all the images before me, thinking, I'm about to land in this bush. 
And I'm trying to say that out loud. Julie, help me. Don't let me fall into this bush is what I wanted to say. But the way it came out was the most high-pitched, unmasculine (laughs) yelp that has ever emerged out of my body. And y'all, Julie and I have debated this back and forth. I don't know whether it's right to say I landed in the bush or on the bush. Well, I don't quite know. All I know is I was completely off the ground, arms up, feet up, laying all the way in the bush. And then I had a couple of thoughts. Number one, how did that happen so suddenly? I mean, it probably happened in about 1.2 seconds, but in my mind it felt like it took 20 seconds. What chain of events led me that I'm now laying in the bush? And then I thought to myself, what if somebody rides by right now? We're in my front yard. (laughs) We're in the front yard. And I know that I'm completely prostrate in the bush. And I think to myself, somebody's going to ride by, and they're going to think to themselves, what in the world is that man doing? That's what they're going to think. And that makes me laugh so hard that I can't get out of the bush. You ever been there? You're laughing so hard that you can't move your body. It's sort of like, and then I thought to myself, I know Julie has seen this. Who else has seen this? And about that time I hear, don't see, because all I can see are the branches of this bush. I hear Abel and Priscilla, I'm guessing they heard the yelp, didn't know what that meant. They come charging out the front door and here's Priscilla's question. It's a good question. Why is daddy in the bush? That's what she said. She said it, and I was just confused. I'm perplexed. Why is daddy in the bush? And I'm still laughing so hard. I just about regained my composure from somebody's going to drive by. And then I hear her ask that question, and I think, wow, that, that is a good question. And I don't really know how to explain it. But in time, Julie, who um, is laughing equally as hard as I am, she comes along, and she kind of grabs an arm, and it's this whole process of trying to get up out of or off of the bush. And so I got back up, and um, all down my arm, well, not all, I don't want to make it sound overly dramatic, but going somewhere with this passage of Scripture, there are spots and blemishes all down the arm. Because here's the sequence of events that happened in my life. I missed a step, right? I missed a step, and then I lost my stability, right? This is what Peter's writing about. You, you saw it there. Let's, let's read it again. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish. Count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks about speaks in them about these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care. Could have used this advice. Take care that you not be carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Lose your own stability. A missed step makes us stumble and then lose our stability. 
the you here, the you in verse 14, we always need help with this, is plural. You beloved, agape toi, you beloved ones, y'all, the way it's sometimes said in these parts, y'all be diligent. So, so here's, here's a huge principle for this morning. For you to maintain your stability as the day of the Lord approaches is going to require the help of other people. That's hard, isn't it? We're Americans. We are steeped in rugged individualism. But Peter just said, y'all be diligent. You can't read it in verse 14. Here's the wrong application. I got to read this as me. Me maintain my stability. No, no. Y'all maintain y'all's stability. And then the interesting thing to me is as Peter talks about these things, Paul comes to his mind. He's thinking about, I need to, to, to be diligent to be free of all spots and blemishes. And as he's talking about spots and blemishes, it seems a little bit random. All of a sudden, Paul comes to his mind. Remember, Paul's talking about these things. Why does Paul come to Peter's mind? Here's my theory, and here's where we're going to go this morning. Because there was a time in Peter's life where he had a significant, stubborn spot. A persistent blemish. And he needed somebody's help in his life because he was about to lose his stability over it. And that somebody was Paul. That's why I asked you to turn to Galatians 3, because it's in Galatians 3 that Paul talks about this. So, Peter is confronted by Paul about removing a blemish. And this is really important, y'all. This is one of the things we have to do together as a church family. We have to confront ungodly blemishes with godly grace. We need one another's help. I know this is a hard pill to swallow, right? Sanctification is a group project. How many of you, when you were coming through school and you heard the words group project, just internally you were like, ugh, right? Can I just do the assignment myself? Here's the answer. Can you do the assignment of sanctification yourself? No, you can't. One, you're going to have to have the Holy Spirit, and then two, you're going to have to have other believers who help you confront ungodly blemishes but we have to confront it with godly grace. Believers help each other identify, this is important, and remove blemishes. So when you help somebody, you can't just be an identifier. Hey, yo, this is what's the deal in your life. No, no, no. You identify and by God's grace, help them remove while simultaneously you're helping them. Hope that makes sense because where we are this morning, if you're a believer in Jesus, there's three scenarios. You have someone, but they're not helpful. Scenario number two is you have no one who's helping you. Or number three, you have someone and they are helpful. So we want to we move towards that third, that we help each other by identifying steps to take, steps not to miss, and we identify for one another stumbling blocks to avoid, and main, to, to avoid falling and maintain and fortify our stability. So you're here in uh, 2 Peter. You're going to hold your spot there, but it's in Galatians that we get a little bit of input. But a couple things before we jump in, I want you to know, and it's going to be on your outline. Peter and Paul were both saved. They both loved Jesus, and they both served the church, right? It's the first point on our, on our outline. That Paul and, Peter and Paul are prominently featured, right, in the Bible. They're prominently featured in the book of Acts. As a matter of fact, the book of Acts is sort of an outline 
Peter's emphasized, and then we get the ministry of Paul. They both author multiple New Testament epistles. They're both the recipients of the personal attention of Jesus. They're similar in age, and they're historical contemporaries. And even though that's true, Peter and Paul were both saved, both loved Jesus, both served the church, Peter and Paul had a significant conflict. A day comes where Peter and Paul, they kind of have it out. And we're going to see that and why that was so in a moment. So here's an application for us. We're talking about Peter and Paul, right? None of us are so mature that we do not need accountability and loving correction from other believers. Say that again. None of us are so mature that we do not need accountability and loving correction from other believers. As a matter of fact, y'all, the Christian life begins with loving correction, doesn't it? You're not a Christian if you've never received the loving correction of Jesus. The first step in becoming a Christian is realizing by his grace and by his love, we're headed in the wrong direction and we need to be corrected. Amen? So the Christian life begins with loving correction and then it is sustained and you grow in maturity through loving correction. So at Galatians chapter, I've said three several times and I don't know why it's chapter two (laughs) and verse 11. I needed loving correction on that. Galatians chapter 2, verse 11, we're going to just read one phrase here, and then from there we're going to jump to one other book, that's the book of Acts, because I want you to understand where this conflict takes place, when it takes place, how it takes place, and why it takes place. So Galatians chapter 2, verse 11, Paul is writing, and he says, when Cephas, now you need to know that that's another name for Peter, Cephas is the Aramaic name of Peter. Peter's the Greek word, Cephas is the Aramaic. But when Cephas came to Antioch, everybody say Antioch. Antioch. All right, we're all on the same page. And now from there, we're coming back, but we got to figure out some things that have gone on in Antioch. So turn back with me to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. In verse number 19, God had done a remarkable thing in Antioch. Let's look at it together. Acts chapter 11 and verse 19. Now there, now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. Speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. When you hear Hellenists, what you need to hear are the word Greeks, in other words, non Jewish people, a different ethnicity. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Hallelujah, praise God. He's at work in Antioch. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. 
When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. It's beautiful. So there's a group of people now in Antioch. And we don't know how to describe them. So we got to come up with a new word. For up to this point, people have been described as Jews or Gentiles. Now you walk into the church at Antioch. And the people who've come from a Jewish background and the people who come from a Gentile background. And those who would have nothing in common but Jesus have now come together. And friends, that is called the church. That's called the church. They've been united together, right? now, Now, who needed salvation by grace through faith in Christ? The Jews or the Gentiles? Everybody. And now they've come together. And something that's never happened before in the history of Antioch or the Greek Empire or the known world is happening is believers from different backgrounds are coming together, right? Different languages, different ethnicities, different upbringings, and now they're here together in Antioch. And the scripture says the Lord was doing a marvelous work among them. And they said the only way we can describe them is we'll just give them the name Christian, which means little Christ, right? If you call yourself a Christian, say, what do you believe? You say, I'm a, I'm a Christian. That name goes back to this time and place in Antioch. Now, with that background, Paul and Barnabas, they've been there for a year. They've served and they've built up the church and God's done a marvelous and glorious thing. Now let's go back to Galatians chapter 2. Glorious work God has done in Antioch. But now let's read Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. But when Cephas, Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain people came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. What's going on here? Well, we heard a little bit of it in Acts 11, right? The persecution broke out and they began to take the gospel and initially they only took the gospel to Jewish people, right? People left to Jerusalem, they go out to preach the gospel, but when they got to Antioch, some folks, and they're nameless people, and praise God Almighty for nameless, faceless missionaries, amen? We we can't say who it was, it just says, and some of them who were persecuted, Cyprus and the Cyrenes, they shared with the Hellenists the gospel. Don't know their names, don't know their faces we just know the fruit of their work and may it be so among us that you're going to work for the lord and it may not lead to one bit of notoriety when we sit here and talk about peter and paul you know them but the kingdom of god also advances among people who don't care if their name is remembered so much that jesus is proclaimed and faithfully remembered among the people of whom they serve but now peter this is This is shocking, isn't it? Because by this time, Peter's already dug with the Cornelius thing. You know the book of Acts, right? God's already spoken to him in a dream. Man, don't call unclean what I've made clean. Peter's got a, to use his words in his own letter, he's got a blemish. 
He's got a spot. And Peter acts one way around a group of people, and then when another person comes in, another group of people, he acts another way. Have you ever met somebody like that? Before we get too high and mighty, have you ever been somebody like that? You ever been that person? Now, now, now we've got Peter. Before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically, hypocritically along with him. Oh man, this one hurts. So that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Barnabas, Paul's best friend. It's the one who welcomed him into the church at Jerusalem. It's the one who we read in Acts. We went from Antioch and said, man, I need some help teaching these believers here. And he went and got, and now Barnabas is falling under peer pressure. Sometimes we talk, talk about peer pressure as just something that young people deal with in teenage years. That's not true, is it? Barnabas, faithful Barnabas is caving under the pressure. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, act like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we have also believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. If anybody comes around and says we're saved by grace and something else, they've hijacked grace. You don't understand grace anymore. To be saved by grace means that you can only be saved by grace. Amen? So what was going on is Peter, prominent Pentecostal preaching Peter, has arrived in Antioch. And y'all, can we ask a question? What's at stake here? Here's Peter. Before certain people, he'd sit down. And you've got to understand in that culture, in that time and place, when you sat down to eat with somebody, you were saying that that's, that's your people, right? That's your, that's, that's your friends. What was the criticism of Jesus? He eats with sinners and tax collectors, right? So Peter's eating with the Gentiles until some other friends come along and then he separated himself. He said, I'm not going to eat anymore. And for a year, Paul has proclaimed to them you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So what's at stake in Antioch? Are we still Christians? Or are we still Jews and Gentiles? Does this make sense? Because this is a real issue in 2018. Peter's blemish is he's a racist, y'all. It's, it's a huge blemish. And he's sending a message to Antioch that the gospel is for some people more than it's for other people. Peter has a stubborn blemish. All of us have stubborn blemishes. Things in our lives that do not rub off easily, and if I can put it this way, things you're going to need other believers to help you overcome. Now, we've all got deep-rooted sin issues in our heart. For Peter, it's racism. I do not know the specific reason Peter felt as he did against the Gentiles. I just know it had to go. There is no place in the church of Jesus Christ for racism. There's no justification for it. Racism is contrary to the gospel. The notion that you're better than another person on the basis of your cultural background or the language that you speak or the color of your skin is sinful and it's satanic. It has no place in the church of Antioch at that time and it has no place in the church of Rocky Mount at this time. 
And it's a blemish and a spot that cannot remain on the bride of Christ. Be all the more diligent to remove spots and blemishes. When? For what reason? As you see the day of Christ approaching. And when Paul saw this in Peter, he could not stand by idly and allow it to continue. So he confronts Peter. And he confronts Peter by grace. So we're going to get three questions and answers on Christian conflict from this passage of scripture and we're going to start with this one number one when do i confront another believer hey y'all confrontation isn't fun is it some of us in the room we hate confrontation other people strangely love confrontation and i say strangely because uh, i'm not someone who just wants conflict for the sake of conflict but unto sanctification and christ likeness there are occasions that necessitate godly grace-filled confrontation and this was one of them so let's ask the question when do i confront another believer i'm so thankful for the clarity of the scripture we get the answer in galatians chapter 2 verse 14 paul says when i saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel i said to peter see peter's behavior is sending a message by refusing to sit down all of a sudden when some friends from jerusalem come along and eat with the Gentiles, he's saying the love of God does, does not unite the people of God. He's saying that there yet remains divisions among us that the gospel is not sufficient to overcome. A wonderful thing was going on in Antioch that we've alluded to already. There are people coming together under the banner of Jesus that nothing else had ever been able to bring them together. And that remains true now. That the gospel alone will unite people. His behavior is in contrast to the prayer that he'd heard Jesus himself pray that his disciples would be one. We confront our brothers and sisters when what they do does not match what the gospel says. And Paul, another helpful phrase here is when Cephas acted hypocritically. Compounding this, Peter's behavior was influencing others, wasn't it? Even dear Barnabas, the son of encouragement, all of a sudden he's saying, I'm not going to sit there either. Now, please hear me very carefully. There is nothing more devastating to gospel witness than the notion that some do not belong. That's what Peter was saying in Antioch. It's like there's an inner sanctum here, right? And we're a little more deserving. We got the law and we've kept the feasts and so on and so forth. We have to lovingly help one another when they're called in mistakes like this. Now, Some people don't see what they stumble over. And when the gospel is at stake, we can't afford not to confront with grace. This is what it means to be a part of the body of Christ, y'all. We are in this together. No one is independent and without accountability and in need of help. Sometimes we say, well, it's just none of my business. The kingdom of God is your business. It is our priority. That may be true of some things. Now, we're going to talk about this in a minute, a little clarification, because there are some things that ain't your business. We've got to learn to be discerning people on when to get involved and when to stay out. Amen? Because sometimes we mix the two up. So, so remember, we're talking about Peter here. If anyone would have been above the law, so to speak, it would have been him. But I think what we have here preserved in Scripture is that ain't nobody, ain't nobody beyond the bounds of godly accountability. 
Barnabas didn't confront Peter. James didn't confront Peter. But Paul did. He would not let it slide. Now, most everybody in this room this morning is probably from a Gentile background. Aren't you glad that Paul stood up and said, uh-uh, gospel's at stake. Understanding the truth of Jesus is at stake. We're not going to let this slide. So one, when do I confront another person? I confront when the truth of the gospel is at stake. If this behavior, if this teaching, if this continues, then we're going to distort the truth of the gospel. Second question is, how do I confront another believer? This is another really important question, isn't it? And it's especially helpful in our day of passive-aggressive social media interaction. So let's get this right together as a church family. How do I confront another believer? Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. When Cephas came to Antioch, I stabbed him in the back. When Cephas came to Antioch, I talked to Barnabas about it. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. I confronted him to his face. He loved him enough to do that. He's not going to go post about it. He's not going to send a link about it. He said, I'm going to go talk to Peter about it. I'm going to have enough respect for Peter to talk to him up front about it. Now, when you find yourself talking about someone in a way you would never talk to that someone, you need to stop and pray right then. You stop immediately. Find yourself in the kitchen talking to your spouse and you start to talk about somebody and you're like, if they were standing here, I wouldn't be saying this. You need a Holy Spirit intervention in that moment. If you're with a group of friends and so-and-so's not there and all of a sudden... You start talking about them in a way that you would not talk to them if they were there. You need a Holy Spirit. We're not going to do that anymore, right? This is important, y'all, because this is what destroys churches, quite frankly. Is we'll go talk to everybody about it, but the person that we're talking about. Now, there is a difference between gospel conflict and personality conflict. Dwight, let's switch to this microphone for a moment. It's on. <laughs> now, we got to learn the difference. Can y'all still hear me all right? We got to learn the difference between personality conflict and gospel conflict. Because the church is wonderfully made up of people who aren't like you. Amen? At least it should be. That's by God's design. We've got different personalities. We've got different senses of humor. We've got different backgrounds. We've got introverts and extroverts, doers and thinkers and includers. There will be people who might get under your skin or on your nerves, and you're called to love them anyway. Y'all probably seen or heard this. Laurel, Yanny, okay? We're going to test it out here. Group, group project. I think it's going to work. You, in a moment, are going to tell me what word you hear. You ready? Here we go. Laurel. 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 Okay. We come back to my mic now. All right. Now, let's do this. It's just us in here. Let's everybody stand. Everybody stand. 
stretch. Probably do this in the middle of a 35-minute sermon anyway, right? <laughs> halftime. Not quite halftime. We're a little bit about halftime. I saw some of you say, what? All right, it's real easy. If you heard Laurel, I want you to sit down. If you heard Laurel. Okay. If, if you heard nothing, sit down. Yeah. Now, if you heard Yanny, I want you to raise your hand. All right. Now, everybody can sit down. One of those little things that go along the Internet and everybody kind of, and I found it. I didn't know anything about that. I just kept hearing, seeing different places all week. I'm Laurel. I'm Yanny. I had no idea what anybody was talking about until last night. Googled it. And uh, here's the strange thing that happened with me. I played it. And I was like, what is the discussion? What's the debate? It's saying Yanny. So Abel, Abel's sitting there. Abel, what do you hear? Yanny. Go get Julie. Julie, what do you hear? Yanny. I said, what is the deal here? Mary Clara walks in the room. What do you hear? And she says, Laurel. <laughs> I said, how do you hear Laurel? He's not saying Laurel. He's saying Yanny. But she was so persistent. She was so persistent about it. I started to go back and listen. And I'm trying to listen for Laurel. And get, I heard Laurel. I heard Laurel. I said, I wasn't hearing that earlier. It was just Yanny. Now, here's the, here's the deal. Something's going on and scrambled my brain all up because I started, at first heard Yanny. Now I hear Laurel, and I can't hear Yanny anymore. All mixed up about it. Now, we're actually going to try to make a point with all this. And it's, and it's this. We're different, y'all. We're different. Church is not about everybody being the same. There is a great deal of difference, a God-glorifying difference between unity and uniformity. And the Church of Jesus Christ is not about uniformity. There's no individual believer who has the giftedness of the full body of Christ. Ain't nobody. So some of you heard Laurel, and you're thoroughly confused how anybody else could hear Yanny. Some of you hear Yanny, and you're like, the folks hearing Laurel are off. Something wrong about them, and they need to get their hearing checked, right? Here's the, here's the deal, y'all. We're all different. P Peter is not opposed by Paul because Paul hears Laurel and Peter hears Yanny. That is not a gospel issue. Can I give you a few other things that are not gospel issues? I got one of these on. I wear it most every Sunday. It's not a gospel issue. We've got, we got families in our church. Some are going to homeschool, and some are not. And they're going to have different, strong convictions about it. We, we got, uh, just use Cindy. She could come up here to the piano and start playing the song, and some of you are going to say, oh, it's my music. And then she's going to know another song, and you're going to say, no, nah, that's not the style of music. Now, some of you, we could go on and on and on about different things. There are personality preferences. And I just got to tell you this. There are few things more destructive to the unity of a church family than making a personality preference on par with a gospel issue when it is not a gospel issue issue. We are not looking for Yanny Baptist Church or Laurel Baptist Church. 
We are looking for a church that in spite of our differences, in spite of our differences, our allegiance to and love for Jesus goes beyond those differences and we're united together in him. That is a church that glorifies Jesus Christ. So, so this, this is helpful, I think, I hope, that you, when you find yourself with a personality disagreement with somebody else, and it's not a gospel issue, you have the glorious freedom to move on with your life. It's liberating, isn't it? It's liberating. And, and not only, well, maybe a better way of saying it, not so much move on to, with your life as you get to love them anyway. You get to stay alongside of them anyway. And maybe they don't handle things or speak or, or don't have the same sense of humor you do or the same preferences as you do, but that is my brother and my sister in Christ. And I'm going to love them anyway. Just repeat it. It's dangerous to make something less than a gospel issue the decisive factor for fellowship. I know a few people I'd rather less be on the day of the Lord than somebody who divided a church over something less than a gospel issue. Because he's coming. And we are going to give an account of how we lived as his people in the world. You know what I'm saying? We'll put it this way. I'm sure Peter was very thankful that Jesus did not return, plant his feet in Jerusalem or in Antioch when Peter was refusing to sit down with Gentile brothers and sisters. Listen to him. It's what he means when he says, count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Just as our beloved brother Paul does when he writes to you about these things. Now there's some things in Paul's letters, they're hard to understand. But I am so thankful for Paul. And you would do well to pay attention to him so that you don't lose your stability. Well, number three, last question. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 18. I want to highlight this with us again because I think it's important. Matthew chapter 18. going to help us bridge to the why. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. We get this. This one verse will do more to resolve and help you in your personal conflicts with other people than most any other verse in the Bible. Obedience to this one verse will do more to, to encourage the unity of the body of Christ than most any other verse I know. When you have an issue with somebody, you go to that person alone. And if you're not willing to go to that person, you do not have permission to talk to other people about it. Somebody say amen. Amen. Jesus is speaking. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, step two, take one or two others along with you. And I think what Jesus is getting at, other mature gospel-focused people with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. But sometimes what we're worked up about, it's not actually true. 
what Jesus is saying. If he refuses, then tell it to the church. And if he refuses even to listen to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For Here's a verse we quote a lot, but did you know this is where it's stated? For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Now, we read verse 15. I want you to see verse 14 and put some thoughts together here. He's telling the parable of the lost sheep, and then he says at verse 14, So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that any one of these little ones should perish. We, we, got, to, we got to work together. Are y'all still with me? What's at stake are people's souls perishing. Confrontation. Wh- why do I confront another believer? I confront so that he or she is not carried away with error and loses his or her stability. That's the answer to the question. The why is really important. The why is rooted in Matthew 18. Because we're talking about salvation. It's a tragedy. It's a tragedy of someone who had such a blemish that the eventual blemish that was never removed really revealed that they were never saved. This is what the scripture is talking about. And they get to the day of the Lord. They get to the day of the Lord and never had one single person ever talk to them about the blemish that was in their life that was so significant that it was hypocritical and incompatible to genuine saving faith. Friends, that's, that is what Peter is talking about. Therefore, since all these things are to be thus, be all the more diligent that you not be found with any spot or blemish. That's what he's talking about. And then immediately comes to his mind a blemish that was in his life that had to be corrected. Friends, if Peter persists in racism, it's evidence that he doesn't know Jesus. Did you hear me? If Peter persists, refuses, says Paul's lost his mind, and gets corrective truth teaching, and he goes on and persists in it, it's evidence that he doesn't know Jesus, and his soul is in danger of perishing. So I confront so that others are not carried away with error and lose their own stability. When I fell off the porch, careened into the bush, I wish Julie had been able to step in time to help me. She didn't, and I don't hold that against her. (laughs) This is why you've got to be, as a believer, involved in smaller groups. I love Sunday morning worship. I love all of us together here. But you've got to be involved in a Sunday school class, a home group, a smaller group, where somebody really knows you and you really know somebody else. So we'll go back and land where we started here in 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. Last point. Obedience to 2 Peter 3.14 requires the help of others. Let's read it one more time. And knowing what went on in Antioch, I think that will inform a greater understanding now as we read it together again. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. That's really what was at stake in Antioch, wasn't it? And count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Aren't you so thankful God is patient with us? Just as our... Look how Peter... Don't miss this. Look how Peter describes Paul. Just as that annoying little nitpicking Paul, just as that had the audacity to confront me to my face, Paul, 
just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. That's a, that's a, if you know Peter, that's a glorious statement from him. After the resurrection, he looks over at John. Now, now Jesus, what are you going to do with John? Now, Peter's matured in his life and sees other people got their own wisdom. Other people got their own giftedness. I'm not alpha male Peter. I'm someone who, uh, look at verse uh, 1, Simeon Peter, chapter 1, verse 1, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. See, that's what was at stake at Antioch. You don't have equal standing. I won't sit with you. Paul lovingly corrects him. As he does, verse 16, in all his letters, when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand. So if you're ever reading along in Paul's epistles and said, man, that's hard to understand, Peter says, amen, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Oh, we just learned that Peter considers the letters that Paul writes scripture. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away. See, that's the danger for Peter. He was about to be carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Wrapping it up, Christian confrontation is necessary to maintain our stability as individuals and to proclaim the gospel with clarity as a church family. Don't you think Peter was thankful the Lord didn't return when he wouldn't eat with the Gentiles? He was thankful for the patience of God in his life. And here's where we can tie it all together, friends. Because guess what? Guess where we're going? When the day of the Lord arrives, do you know what's going to happen? We're going to the wedding feast of the Lamb. We're going to be sitting together. Amen? We're going to be sitting at tables together. People of every language, every tribe, every tongue are going to be there. Because when Jesus was in Jerusalem and when he went to Calvary, do you know who he went to Calvary for? People of every language, every tribe, every tongue, so that they would confess that Jesus Christ is, is, is Lord. Listen to it. To the glory of God the Father. Because he's not the father of some. He's the father of everyone. So Paul confronted Peter for Peter's sake, but also for the sake of those who were sitting at tables that Peter separated himself from. And that's why it's so important. Because on that day, we're going to sit at tables at the wedding feast of the Lamb. And Peter's behavior in Antioch was essentially telling some people that they were not as welcome at those tables on that day than others. And Paul said, when I saw that, I said, "Uh uh-uh. I posed him to his face. So if you say you're a follower of Jesus, but your behavior is not in line with that day, if, if you say you're going to the wedding supper of the Lamb, and the invitation to that wedding supper is by grace only, but you add works to it, you need to be lovingly corrected. Amen? If you say you're going to the wedding supper of the Lamb, but you're a backbiter who runs people down with their words, you have a blemish that needs to be lovingly corrected. If you're going to a place of great holiness and purity, but you have impure things in your life, you need to be lovingly corrected. So will we as a people devote ourselves to handling 
conflict the way Jesus does? Will you be willing to speak to people face to face and be eternally done with texts, posts, passive-aggressive, I'll talk to this so-and-so on the phone, but I'm not going to talk to them. Will, will you seek also to be humbly correctable? Sin is always defensive. Sanctification, as we grow in Christ-likeness, allows us to put the defenses down in understanding we need other people because we all have blemishes. There is only one spotless lamb, and he is the one who was glorified when we seek to lovingly love lovingly help and serve each other. Stand together and we'll pray together. The invitation is a time to resolve some things. So prayerfully, if we've been attentive to the scripture, God has used his word. Our first prayer was, God, would you use your word for what it does? Correct us, encourage us, exhort us. So as we bow our heads together to pray, some of us need to spend the invitation time allowing the Holy Spirit to reveal that we will talk about people in a way that we wouldn't speak to them. And you might spend the invitation time asking God to help you put that habit to death. Some of us take, need to take the initiative to be more involved in the lives of other believers. 